This is Talk for Freedom, a podcast sharing the truths about human trafficking and highlighting those in the fight to end it. With your host, Cesar Lopez, with A21 Freedom Chasers, and Chuck Paul with Chuck Paul LLC. Welcome back, everyone, to Talk for Freedom. Um, This is Cesar Lopez, and today we have a new guest with us. Um, Her name is Vanessa, and she's with uh, Severa. And this is a new, it's an organization that we found out about. They reached out to us, and they are doing some great things when it comes to uh, essential oils, but also uh, combating human trafficking. And so we wanted to bring them on and share with you a little bit more about what they're doing uh, and how they're making an impact uh, when it comes to ending human trafficking as well. Um, So we have with us Vanessa. How are you doing, Vanessa? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great. So thank you for coming on with us and and talking about Severa and sharing a little bit more about um, what it is you guys do. So tell us a little bit about um, yourself first, and then we can definitely dive a little bit deeper about uh, Severa. I am, uh, well, historically, I was a professor of political science at TCU. And for about 15 years, I was doing research and teaching on the issue of human trafficking, both in the United States and transnationally. I first came in contact with the issue of trafficking when I was actually an undergraduate at Columbia University, where I read a book um, on trafficking. Well, it was the book by Gary Haugen called The Good News About Injustice. And uh, so it was my junior, senior year of college, read that book, and it radically changed the trajectory of my life. I immediately knew that this was something that I had to, I was really compelled to be a part of. And yeah. so uh, my path kind of took a circuitous route from there. But in 2008, I found myself in a PhD program in political science. And from that point, you know, for the, for about the 10 years between 1998, um, 99 and 2008, I had read a lot of books on human trafficking, almost any, any book, any and every book that came out, I, I was keeping up with the issue. And What I had noticed was a couple of things. One, the vast majority of literature that had been written up to that point was very much internationally focused. And I thought to myself, well, surely there's trafficking taking place in the United States. Um, Why is everything so internationally focused? And then the second was that most of the work was very journalistic in nature and and actually written by journalists like Nicholas Kristof and... I thought, well, there must be some way to study this issue from a more empirical perspective. And so what I did was I started just collecting data. I didn't really know what I was doing, but I just started collecting data. And it happened to be at that time that many states were passing legislation on human trafficking. And so I started collecting data on the legislative provisions of human trafficking within each state across the United States. And then I started asking questions about why were some states passing more comprehensive legislation than other states? And I started hypothesizing around that. And that really began my foray into the study of human trafficking in the United States. Um, I proceeded to get several federal research grants to study various aspects of the issue. And so as a scholar, I ended up really studying um, 
but everything from the supply and vulnerability of people to being trafficked in the U.S. to the distribution. In other words, you know, the traffickers. So I, yeah. I, I interviewed traffickers in federal prison as one of my projects. And then also all the way to the demand side. So I had did a study estimating demand for illicit massage businesses in Houston, Texas, for example. So studying all of those things and also looking at the different aspects of um, prevention, protection, and prosecution. So I built this database of federally prosecuted human trafficking cases. It's at humantraffickingdata.org. And um, and so that's an open access searchable database of federally prosecuted human trafficking cases. And so all of my research had taken me to all of these different areas of the issue, everything yeah. from prevention to prosecution to protection to um, partnerships to supply distribution demand, like the whole, the whole gamut. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, I was teaching classes on the issue. And so I uh, led a study abroad on transnational human trafficking to India. And I was partnering with a variety of different organizations working on both sex trafficking and labor trafficking there. And it was in 2017 that I was sitting on the floor of a medical clinic in the red light district in Delhi when a woman said to me, why should I share my story with you? Why should I tell you anything about myself? You're no different than the people that come here and exploit me for my body. You're just exploiting my story. And also, you're probably going to go back to your country and write some book about me and publish that book and make money off of that book, which means that you're no different than a trafficker making money off of me. And it was very powerful, very compelling. And I was deeply moved And so I asked her, what is it that you need? And she said, I need dignified employment to get out of this dirty business. Mm. And so I told her on that day, I'm going to help you do that. Now, my thinking at the time was, oh, I've been coming to India for five years now. I'm connected all across the country with lots of different anti-trafficking organizations. It's going to take me all of two, maybe three phone calls to find a vocational training uh, program or some type of social enterprise in Delhi working with women coming out of the brothels. That's all it'll take, one or two phone calls, two, maybe three phone calls. Yeah. Well, um, six months later, I was still searching. And I was probably, I would say, you know, three to four degrees of separation between like my original contacts and their contacts and their contacts and their kind and still nothing in Delhi. And so after about six months, um, you know, we decided that we would start something to provide this one woman who I had vowed that I would help with a job when it turned out that that job that I thought would exist very easily did not exist. Um, we started a business to provide it for her. And so now Severa is providing employment to, um, seven survivors of trafficking in Delhi, as well as survivors of trafficking in the Dallas Fort Worth area. And we are, uh, wellness lifestyle company and we sell aromatherapy products. And the reason that we entered that space was because we thought, wouldn't it be amazing to be a business that creates a virtuous cycle of wellness? That's what we like to call it, a virtuous cycle of wellness. So our products are providing holistic wellness, both physical 
aspects of wellness and mental and emotional aspects of wellness through these amazing aromatherapy products. And in so doing, our consumers are providing wellness back to our employees. And so um, that's why we became an aromatherapy company. And so um, that's where we're at today. That's amazing. Um, Man, going back a little bit. So first of all, I want to commend you for, you know, not only giving your all to researching the topic of human trafficking, um, you know, you, you did a lot and you went, like you said, to the jails and talked to everyone, but I think you, you took it a step further. I think that's the way most people, when they first hear about human trafficking, they start off is let me learn everything I can about it. Um, but the, the thing I think we, we lack sometimes is the initiative to do what's next. What, what can I do? And so you asked a really important question when you were there in, in, in India is what can I help you with? What do you need? Um, and I think that that's the, the the amazing part of your story is that you didn't just um, because most people they, they learn and, and she's right. Most people do take stories like this and they make them a movie or they make them a book and and they profit out of, off of it. And um, they may not always see it that way. They may see it as educational. But the truth is, it's, it's self-serving most of the time. Um, and but what you did is you you started a business and starting a business is not easy, but um, mm-hmm. you, you did that. And now it's, it's a great circle um, that is giving back to these um, survivors of human trafficking. Um, let, let me just ask you that one woman, what was her reaction when you started doing this? How did, how did she feel? Oh, wow. We actually, so it's very interesting because when we initially started the company, we lost touch with her. Mm. And so we provided jobs to five other women before we provided a job to her because we lost touch with her. Yeah. And then um, when finally, when we found her, which was a crazy story unto itself, but when we found her, I, I was in Delhi and I physically connected with her back in person. And um, she gave me this huge hug. And I said, remember when you told me that you need dignified employment to get out of this dirty business? And I told you I would help. And she said, yes, yes. You know, and I said, I have a job waiting for you at Severa. I said, we created a business from your words. And what she said was, wow, she started crying. And she said, I never knew that my words had so much power. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I love. What I love so much about it is that her words do have power. And in fact, all of our words have power. The problem is that most of us are not willing to listen. Yeah. And true. so, um, you know, there's a lot of sensationalizing within the anti-trafficking movement. There's a mm-hmm. lot of of organizations that use survivor stories, again, for their own fundraising benefit, for their own benefit, they kind of re-exploit the, the victims or the yeah. survivors. And, and one of the phrases that people use so often is, we are a voice for the voiceless. And I don't believe that at all. Um, I think that our employees at Severa and all survivors act are not at all voiceless. The problem is that we're not silent long enough to listen to their voices. Um, and so I, I, you know, even the word Severa, um, it actually means new beginning in Hindi and it was named by our first employees. 
um, because we told them, you know, we're starting this business for you and because of you, and we want to give you naming rights over it. So think about that for a second come back and give us some some ideas of, of names that you have for the business. And they came back about a week and a half or two weeks later. And they said, Savannah. And mm-hmm. uh, I said, what does that mean? And they said, it means new beginning or new morning in Hindi. And it this business is our opportunity for a new beginning. And so that's why we want to name it Severa. Yeah. And, um, and I love that. I, you know, that they named the business that we listened to their opinion with respect to what, what this business should be named because of what it represents for them. And the whole reason it exists again is because of listening to the voice of those, um, those that other others have dismissed. I think that's powerful the way you said that is you're right. They, they're they not voiceless. They have a voice and many times they're they're screaming things out. They're yelling yeah. things out to the world and to those who, who want to listen. But most of the time, um, organizations, people have their own kind of agendas that they're trying to push. And so you're right. They're not, they're not listening. They're not actively listening, but if we just spend some time to listen to them, um, we can learn so much more. And, and I'm, that's amazing that, that not only did you start this business, um, you gave them, um, naming rights and that's, that's awesome. Um, I think that is empowering, uh, to these women to let them know that not only are you taking them into consideration when giving them a job, but you're also taking, taking them into consideration with just naming the business itself. Um, that's huge. Yeah. And uh, wanting them to know that they they have ownership yeah, over this business, true. right? Like they, they have ownership over it. And when you name something, you feel a sense of obligation to it. <laughs> yeah. And so that was, um, it, it's really, and you know, the woman that, that primarily came up with the name, she also says similarly, she's just like, I can't believe that you listened to my name. I can't mm-hmm. believe that there's an international business now that I named. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you're right. It's extraordinarily empowering. Yeah. That's, that's amazing. So how long have, have you guys been in existence Severa? I think you said you, you uh, went uh, to Delhi in 2017. Yep. We went to Delhi in 2017. We, you know, incorporated as a business in 2018 and then we fully launched in 2019. So it's been two years since our launch. Okay. And are you strictly based there in uh, India or do you have also uh, employees here in the U.S.? Yes, we have employees in the U.S. as well. Same, same concept, right? They're, they're survivors of human trafficking. Um, what's the difference uh, that you see uh, in employing someone, a survivor uh, internationally and someone here in the States? Are there some things that have stuck out to you um, that you see? Yes, for sure. There are, there, there are, there are some similarities, absolutely. And then there are also a number of differences. Um, so the differences are really around a couple of things. So one is literacy. Mm-hmm. The, yeah. the literacy level of survivors in India is very, very low. Um, whereas with the US-based survivors, we don't we at least thus far have not encountered issues of literacy. That doesn't mean it doesn't exist, Um, but we so far have not encountered it. And so that's one major barrier to um, the type of work that the women in in India are able to do versus the type of work that the, that the survivors in, um, in the U S are able to do. Um, But on the other hand, a 
something that's different as well is that the ladies in India do not have issues with substance abuse, mm. um, whereas the survivors in the U.S. by and large have had substance abuse issues in the past. Yep. And so those are different dynamics um, that you have to navigate in the U.S. versus in India as well. Um, the relapse situation could be really, really detrimental in the U.S., whereas that's not so much a risk that we have to constantly be taking into account in India. Yeah. Um, but on the other hand, there are many similarities. And so one similarity is housing. So in India, um, almost all of our employees there were moving out of the brothels and or were still living in the brothels when they took a job with Severa. And so housing is a major issue. We want them to be able to move out of the brothels within about mm -hmm. three to six months of taking a job at Severa. And what we found actually was that housing vulnerability and scarcity was also an issue with survivors in the U.S. as well. And so one of our employees was still, for example, living in a safe home. Um, and that was, you know, that was a problem. And she needed yeah. to, she needed to move out and find her own place. Another one was actually living out of her car. So housing is a similarities. Housing vulnerabilities were similarities. Other similarities are, um, are, economic reintegration and economic literacy or financial literacy. So both in India and the United States, we have survivors who were unable. Well, in India, they were, they never had bank accounts. Not a single one of our employees had ever had a bank account. So they were completely operating in uh, the informal economic sector. Right. Oh. And then, um, but in the United States, our employees were one of, one didn't have an issue with bank account. Another was unable to open a bank account because her trafficker had put so much debt in her name mm -hmm. that she didn't know about. Mm -hmm. um, but her, her name was flagged. And so when she tried to open a bank account, there was a big red flag and no one would give her a bank account. And of course that poses an issue as a corporation that pays direct deposit. You don't have yeah. a bank account where you pay, you know? And yeah. so, um, Ultimately, we were able to advocate for her and get her a bank account, but it took oh, it took advocacy on our part um, yeah. and, and the ability to do that. So, so the financial and economic reintegration piece is actually somewhat similar. And then the other thing that has been similar is um, some of the women in both in India and the U.S. have had criminal charges, yeah. and that has also prevented them from being able to do a variety of of things, um, in the formal sector. Um, and, you know, having that criminal record really, really sets you back in ways yeah. that the vast majority of us don't think about. But when we talk about reintegration of survivors into society, you know, we actually end up making it very difficult for them to reintegrate when we have all of these legal barriers and, yeah. you know, um, policy barriers that, that prevent them from doing certain things because of their, because of their record, when oftentimes the record has nothing to do with them. It's yeah. things that their trafficker forced them to do. Yeah. And so in India, that was the situation where one of, one of our employees, um, 
she was forced to recruit girls on behalf of her brothel. And she was um, charged with, you know, with that. And then, you know, similarly here, we have employees with, with various um, charges from ranging from prostitution to tax evasion, to money laundering, to, um, to um, compelling prostitution, all, you know, all manner of criminal charges. So that's another similarity. So it's like, you think that there's such a huge disparity between the trafficking um, situation and the barriers that women in India and the United States face, um, you know, and, and there are, there are some major differences, especially, you know, culturally speaking, but there's also a lot of similarities that we run into as well. Yeah. That's interesting. Um, the criminalization piece, you're, you're absolutely right. Like that's going to be that I'm not surprised that there's no difference there um, because they're placed in situations. They're fearful for their lives um, that they're being asked to do crazy, outrageous things that um, they wouldn't do in their right mind or if they, if they had a choice in this case. And so um, that's interesting. And I, does it make it easier for you to employ them because it is your business. Um, you don't have to necessarily worry about all these legal uh, things, um, documentation, because they have a criminal record. Is that easier for you? I would say yes, because you know, as a as a corporation, we're able to set forth our own policies, and so we we have a policy that we don't conduct criminal background checks, and um, because we know that what we're going to find, you know, yeah. but the other thing is that our employees also know that they can be open and honest with us about their criminal records because we're not going to discriminate against them because yeah. of it. Yeah. Um, we understand that that poses a barrier and we exist as a company to remove those barriers for exactly. them. Yeah. And so, um, so it's interesting when you approach these things from a position of acceptance and understanding, mm-hmm. people are willing to be open and honest about the situation. Yeah, I'm sure that's part of the restoring of, of them, you know, of their, what what has happened, what's been taken away from them. I, I think it's, it gives them some restoration knowing that they can be honest. Um, so what, what do, what do they do for you or for Severa um, when it comes to the work that they're doing? So um, in, in India and the U S it's, it's different um, in India, they do a variety of things. They have been trained in a, in various things. They make some of our eco-friendly packaging. Um, and so they make, they make bo- some of our boxes. They've also been trained in jewelry making. And so they have mm-hmm. made um, m- much of our diffusing jewelry. So we have, all of our jewelry that we that we sell is diffusing jewelry. So it's meant mm-hmm. to put essential oils on it and serve as a element, an aromatherapy element, you know, throughout your day. And so they they make some of the aromatherapy diffusing jewelry, and they also are now um, sewing, and they are currently working on sewing yoga mat straps. And so we're going to be selling yoga mat straps with a yoga mat spray with essential oils and, um, be a great holiday gift for any of your listeners that are interested. Um, so we'll be coming out with that. So that's primarily what the, what our employees in India do now it's primarily what we call like a production facility, right? They're, Mm -hmm. They're producing things. In the United States, our employees do a little bit different of work. And um, that's because our goal is to really be able to train them in sort of more um, knowledge economy type jobs. And so 
One of them is our office manager and does all of our inventory management and fulfillment. And then the other one does um, our, she's a sales associate. And so she does sales. Um, In addition to that, we also are on actually getting ready to onboard a, a group of people who will actually also be making some of our diffusing jewelry here in the U.S. and making all of our sort of smaller batch handcrafted um, personal care products. So we have a really phenomenal mosquito repellent that we sell, um, the bug spray. It smells amazing and it works even better. And then we're coming out with, like I said, the yoga mat spray and, um, a pillow spray and some cleaning, um, appliance, uh, cleaning agents. And so they will be also making like the smaller batch, um, those smaller batch products products yeah so they're learning a skill right if they didn't know a skill that skill before they're kind of learning that skill i think that's that's important because you're right if let's say they they don't want they don't work for severa you know for the rest of their lives but they pick up a skill that they can and then turn um you know use use on their resume and kind of pick up a a different job so i think that's awesome that's great yeah so when it comes to um essential oils, you mentioned the, the whole reason behind it was kind of like that wholeness of, of you know, when it comes to um, our health, um, both physical, emotional, um, mental as well. Um, how, how do they, do you, do you, do they get paid for what they're doing? And then do they make a portion of, of the sales or how does that work? I, I think it would be interesting for our listeners to kind of hear a little bit about that. Um, so all of our employees are they are, our employees in India are all salaried. Um, one okay. of our employees, our survivor employees in the U.S. is salaried. And then the other one is hourly because she works 20 hours a week. Um, and so some are salaried, some are um, hourly, but they all have, all of our employees in India have health insurance benefits. Um, they get paid time off. They get um, maternity leave, which one of them already has had a baby. So she's already yeah. taken advantage of that. Um, and so, you know, it's a dignified job. It's yep. like any, the types of benefits that I would expect if I took a job, those are the kinds of benefits that we want to offer our employees as well. Yeah. Um, and That's so, cool. yeah, they all get paid a, at least over, um, well, they all get paid over the living wage for whatever city they're living in. So in India, they're getting paid actually double what is considered the living wage in Delhi, which is not still not very much money. It would surprise most of your listeners, but, um, but, but likewise also in, in the U S they get paid, um, well over, the living wage in Dallas as well. And so that's, that's our commitment. Um, and yeah, as far as the holistic wellness goes, we, we are all about holistic wellness and recognizing that we are integrated beings. And as a company, therefore we want to be an integrated company. And the way that you do that is through integrity, but each individual also being holistically well, right? Like you can't be collectively well if you're not individually well. And so my thought is that you're only as strong as your weakest member. And so we want everybody to be well so that we are as strong as we possibly could be. And so what, one of the things that we do is we have what we call our, um, 
PIE's Holistic Flourishing Model, and that stands for Physical, Intellectual, Economic, and Spiritual Growth and Development. And our theory of change around that is that, um, you know, each of those each of those dimensions has three levels to it. So there's the micro level, the meso level, and the macro level. At the micro level, it's really all about ensuring that you as an individual have everything that you need to be holistically well across those four dimensions, physical, intellectual, economic, and spiritual. And that looks different for different people, and it looks different in different cultural contexts. Um, But regardless, it's like physically speaking, what is your mental and dental what are your mental and dental needs, medical and dental needs? Are they being taken care of? Right. Physical is also um, transportation. Do you Mm -hmm. have access to adequate transportation that gets you from point A to point B? It's also your physical um, housing situation, right? So you have a safe and secure place to live and all of the things that you need in your house to, to, to live, Um, you know, it's your food, it's your nutrition, it's all of those things. So that's the physical level micro. And then intellectual is wherever you're at intellectually. So if they are illiterate, like speaking in in the Indian context, then we teach them how to read and write. That's that's the first and foremost is teaching them how to read and write. Because obviously that feeds into all of the other aspects of their life and provides an immense amount of freedom and independence that you just simply do not have if you are illiterate. Um, And which is why, you know, the world over people don't want women to be educated because that that's Mm -hmm. a way to control them. Um, And then economic, but in the United States, the intellectual is more like they know how to read and write, but they may not have computer skills. Mm -hmm. And so we'll teach them, you know, how to use a computer, how to write an email, how to work on a spreadsheet, um, all of those kinds of things. And then economic is fundamental, like, you know, financial literacy, opening a bank account, knowing how to budget, knowing how to save, um, all of those kinds of things. And then spiritual is really just about our, when I say spiritual, I'm not talking any specific religion. I'm talking about, um, inner healing and, um, self-knowledge and, uh, just emotional wellness. And so spiritual for us is really that like psycho emotional Mm -hmm. level of how you're doing in that capacity. So that's all like individual. Well, once you have all of those holistic needs met for you as an individual, at that point, you look at relational, interpersonal. How mm-hmm. how are those things all being met at an interpersonal level um, among your you know immediate family? Once all of those things are being met and are well across your family and your interpersonal relationships, at that point, you can start giving back to society across all four of those dimensions. And so the idea with the pies model is that we want everybody to be flourishing outward um, and to be out of the immediate stressors and fight or flight of trying to provide for yourself and your family so that you are now in a place where you can think about contributing to society rather than just taking from from society. And so that is, that's our pies model. That's we work. Um, we work the pies model as a, as a, as a business, each individual it's, it's been really beautiful because it's become a common language across the organization where we can talk about pies and, and talk about, um, the, the dimensions and where we're at at different dimensions. Um, and everybody knows what we're talking about. Um, 
And it's something that we're working on actually writing up in a systematic way that we can then share with other organizations that that want to have kind of this holistic model yeah. of human flourishing. I think that that would be great because um, it it sounds like you're you're covering every single aspect of this person's life um, and you're helping them in the restoration process, but it's not just saying here, I'm giving you a job, you're getting paid, now figure the rest out. No, you're helping them along the process of learning how to do some new things, uh, healing, you know, the emotional trauma that comes with, you know, being in, in that environment. Um, and, and you're also giving them, you know, powerful tools that will help them um, move along you know, after they've established, a, you know, their job and they've got a bank account and all that, the interpersonal stuff is great because they're right. It's all about relationships, how to mend some relationships that had been broken or how to even learn how to start relationships because, right. you know, you, you lack trust and all this other stuff. So that is amazing. I, I'm so glad that you shared that because I, I think that that speaks to um, what Severa is about and what you guys are doing. It's not just a job. It's not just paying you, but you're you're interested in in making whole people and helping people be whole. Um, And that that's amazing. That's awesome. So where can our viewers find out about Severa? Where where can they go to buy any of the products that you guys sell so that they can also help um, contribute to these survivors? Yes. So that they can contribute to the virtuous cycle of wellness. Yeah. Um, So our website is severa.com. That's S-A-V-H-E-R-A.com. And, um, and so, you know, our products are available on our e-commerce site and, um, our essential oils are, I like to say the creme de la creme of essential Mm -hmm. oils. They are all USDA certified organic, 100% pure. We send them to a lab to be third party tested, to make sure that they're not adulterated, contaminated, diluted, um, and that there's no synthetic materials in them. And, um, And then we make all those test results available on our website. So every bottle has a lot number on it. You can actually check the lot number to see what what is actually in the oil and and ensure that it is is in fact 100% pure. So our products are amazing and obviously um, supporting supporting employment for trafficking survivors is what it's all about. And yeah. so um, we're going to be, you know, these make incredible gifts. So, yeah. and we're going to be coming out with even better um, gift sets for the holiday season. And so, um, yes, I would love for all of your listeners to, if there are any essential oil users, switch to our brand, because there's definitely no better oil and no better cause <laughs> out there <laughs> among uh, companies that, that sell the same products that we do. And if you don't use essential oils, this is a great time to start. I'm sure you've heard a lot about them because people are talking about them more and more these days. Um, And so we have oils that support all kinds of things. So respiratory issues, um, muscle and tension, headaches, um, uh, we have an anti or an immunity blend that supports your immunity. It's antibacterial, antimicrobial, antiviral, all those things. So if you don't use them yet, now is a great time to get started. <laughs> I agree with the world we're living in today. I think that's that's huge. That's important. Um, not only from a physical, you know, COVID um, attacking the immune system, but yes. I think a lot of people are going through a lot of emotional uh, trauma as well, and all that. Yes, yes, we have a sleep blend and a. Um, what we call our calming blend, our Zen blend, which are actually our most popular one. It's called Tracy's Grace. But um, 
it's funny because, you know, we sell our products also at some in-person markets. And so we'll ask like, oh, what do you struggle with? You know, do you struggle with sleep or anxiety or depression? And, And I cannot tell you the number of people that say, honestly, all of the above, like, give it all to me. <laughs> um, and you're at, cause you're absolutely right. Like we, we are living in very uncertain times and yeah. I think, um, yeah. And also, um, divisive, tumultuous yeah. times and people seem angrier and more frustrated. And, you know, this is something that is just like, let's just all be well. Yeah. And it's easy to use essential oils. Like it's not, hard you know it's not you don't have to worry about swallowing you know all these pills no it's it's super easy to use them yes. and so i think i think people will definitely find um you know they'll they'll look you guys up and i think there's a way to enter their email your their email address and they can subscribe for news and offers as well yes yes um, so that's great i mean i'm so glad that you came on here and shared the story of severa um you know your story on how it all started and where you're at today and the impact that you're making on these women's lives um you know i i like to call these uh, companies with a heart um, because your heart is in in helping other people. Um, you know, there's so many companies that that they're all in it for themselves, but you're not, and you're giving back. Um, and it all started with the question, right? Um, and so I'm so glad that you asked that question and that she was honest with you, you know, and that um, it's now led to where you're at today. And so, um, you know, we're, we're, we're appreciative for taking the time to join us. Uh, again, Vanessa Boucher um, and sharing all about Severa. So Severa is S-A-V-H-E-R-A.com. Go check them out, sign up for their latest and greatest news and offers and buy some thing because you know it's good for you but it's also going to help somebody else as well um and so thank you once again for joining us and we look forward to maybe having you back in the future thank you thank you for joining us on this episode with vanessa boucher talking about severa and the great things they're doing to make an impact in survivors lives don't forget to rate us leave us comments feedback on how we're doing and we hope that you come back for our next episode